Again and welcome to the Rother United podcast. Um, today we've got a bit of a special episode. Uh, we've got Mick joining us as, as usual. Hello. Uh, but today we've got like I said, a special guest. We've got Brian Chapel joining us. Thank. Uh, hello, Brian. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Uh, how was the lockdown treating you? Well, uh, my wife and I have been at home now for seven weeks because we're you know over seventy. Um, hmm. She she's got one or two little health things, only mild, but uh, she got a letter so. We're staying at home, and um, um, but um, we're managing to cope with it really well, and hope everybody else is too, and everybody keeps safe. Absolutely, yeah, and ho- hopefully things uh, improve soon. Um, so, for any any younger listeners that don't know, Brian used to report on Rotherham. Was it the nineties, late late nineties, early two thousands, or was it earlier than that you started? No, I, I started uh, in August nineteen eighty two, right, uh, and then I carried on until 2005 and then I had to stop because I was working full-time at Rotherham Rugby Club including Saturdays mm. but I did one game in 2006 when Alan Nil was managed so I did it a few years and you know really enjoyed it. Mm. Well yeah if you, from 82 to 2005 you've just seen just about <laughs> just about everything that could possibly happen didn't you during that time. Um, would you have started then was that 82 the year after the pro, uh, Division Two, wasn't it, when we finished seventh? That's right. Like that. Yeah. After Ian Porterfield. Yeah. yeah. Mullen Hughes was manager. Right. Okay. I don't know if you've seen this. We did a recent Greatest Eleven team, and there were quite a few, quite a few players from that era that got in, weren't they, Mick? Well, 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 Brecking got in, didn't he? John Brecking, Jerry Forrest, Tony Towner. Mm. Um. I'm not sure who else. I don't think there are any more out of that team. I know that Ronnie wasn't very happy that he didn't get in, was he? No, Probably, you know, it was a it was a fantastic team. You know, the players that you've mentioned, other players that you didn't mention, but you know, Tony Towner, he's he's got to be one of my favourites. Jerry Forrest was one of the best right backs we've ever had. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a really strong side, and um, you know they deserved to go. Yeah, Rodney Fern was another one that we uh, we talked about during that greatest eleven as. Uh, has been a, a a great player and a, and a, and a big sort of uh, big help for Ronnie as well up there. Well, when they got promoted, um, you know, I, I was with our youngest lad at the time, so that he would have been six or seven, and we were in the railway end. We were in the the away end. And this was before I did the radio, mm. and uh, Rodney Fern scored that really important goal, you know, to yeah. secure promotion and. Um, that was fantastic. He was a fan- brilliant player, Rodney Fern, and alongside Ronnie, you know, they were ideal combination. But uh, Rod Fern and that particular goal will always stick in in my memory. And, and those who remember Rodney Fern as a player, yeah, mm. I, I remember him because of his haircut, and uh, yeah. I was inspired to that. And uh, I've now. Uh, so mine one. would be like that, Mick. I'm glad you're not seeing me because mine would be like that if I let it grow. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Bobby Charlton, Rodney Fern style, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> How did you get that gig then at, uh, for Radio Sheffield? Right, well, I was a teacher. I mean, I taught at Old Hall. I taught yeah. you. You did. Um, that's why my hair's the length it is now, Mick. Um, <laughs> and, and if you remember, I, I was a teacher four days a week, and then three nights a week, I ran the youth club. This yeah. was in the 70s. Um, and we had a sports hall, a brand new sports hall. And I got to know Richard Finney, who was an ex-Old Hall pupil and playing for Rotherham United. And he came to do some coaching. And then he'd come up for a coffee. And we became really good friends. Yeah. He played for Rotherham United. He was a terrific player. Yes. Whole-hearted Rotherham lad. Um, and he got hurt. So he asked me to go on his testimonial committee uh, with Jerry Summerton, Derek Dalton. And um, he then let me know during that year that uh, Bob Jackson, Radio Sheffield, uh, who did Rodham United games, was becoming full-time sports producer and needed to find somebody to, to cover games. So I phoned Bob Jackson and that's how I started. Wow. Just remind me. A really tough interview. Let me tell you about my interview. I'd never been in a studio before. I had no training. Anyway, I, I went, left school on a Monday after, uh, after work and went to Radio Sheffield sat in a studio, put some headphones on. He said, right, I've got some questions for you. This is dead true, I'm not making this up. He said, there's a, a copy of the Star, turn to the back page and read something about Rotherham United. So I read, and after about 10 seconds, he stopped. He said, you're a Geordie. I said, <laughs> yeah. He said, oh, Rotherham fans won't want a Geordie talking about Rotherham United. I said, well, I can't do anything about that. He said, well, he said, what colours the grass at Millmore? So I said, green. Said, what shape is the ball? Said, it's round. He said, well, you know as much as the other reporters, so that's a good start. And that's how we, it was brilliant, Bob Jackson. And then he gave me the job and, um, you know, I it just I took it from there. Yeah. D did you take over from Jerry then, Jerry Summerton? No, Jerry Summerton uh, worked for Hallam. Of course he did. He worked all the years for Hallam. Um, but um, Jerry and I travelled the country together 20-odd years. You know, he, he drove. He then went to work for the advertiser, if you remember. Yeah. Um, and we, we journeyed with Les Payne um, and went thousands and thousands of miles. Yeah. Uh, great, you go to away games. It's great going to away games, you know, going to Exeter and Gillingham and all these places. When they win, it's a long way back, though, isn't it, when they haven't? When they haven't won, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So have you done the full 92 grounds then, Brian? I haven't. I haven't. I, I, I did. I mean, it's changed in the last few years, hasn't it? A number of new stadiums. But I'd done about 82 by the time I finished. Wow. But, um, you know, I've, I never went to White Hart Lane. There are a number of, of grounds I'd love to have gone that, that I didn't go to. Um, I would love to have gone to the old White Hart Lane. Um, and a number of others. The 10 I didn't go to. The Dell. Mainly because Rotherham didn't play them in the time when I was, was working. But. Yeah. Well, I remember Jerry Summerton as well. I used to stand next to Jerry when I was a little boy at Millmore, right underneath the press box. Yeah. Um, for, for, for sort of all my growing up years, really. Um, and then obviously he went on to, onto the radio, and then you did. Then you appeared one day. Yeah. <laughs> no, that would be a shock for you. Yeah, it was a bit, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Jerry was a great bloke. I mean, he, he was Rotherham United through and through. He knew, he's written, you know, he wrote a number of books, didn't he, towards 
the end of his career, all sorts of facts and his knowledge. And um, he was, um, you know, he, he was great on the radio. And, and we also, we worked a little bit together um, for Radio Sheffield towards the end of my time. I mean, I'd do the commentary and he'd do some summarising. So I did work with him um, yeah. and enjoyed that very much. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic memories that of uh, so obviously at that age and you know that those times weren't we never really went to all the away games um, and, uh, and and certainly well you were the voice of Rotherham United for me for the certainly for the away games for many many years uh, and I think probably for a lot of other people as well um, so yeah it was uh, it, it was it, it were good good times. Um, from so looking back at those those early years, then we, when you you took over when Emlyn Hughes was uh, was manager, yeah. What what's, what are your memories of, uh, of of Mr Hughes? Without wanting to. Well, um, I mean, if I'm being brutally honest about myself, I wasn't very good to start with. I had no training. Um, I mean, I love football. I've got coaching badge and so on. I'd done my prelim badge. I knew a little bit about football. I'd watched a lot of football. Yeah. But um, in terms of the journalistic side and the technical side, uh, they gave me some equipment, just turned up and, and that was it. Um, so I was nervous to start with. Um, and of course, Emlyn came. He'd been a wonderful, wonderful player for Liverpool, as you know, in England and captain and uh, on question of sport and everything. And I think some sort of greenhorn Geordie lad um, <laughs> that we'd never heard of before. You know, he, he wasn't going to come running to me for an interview, was he? Because he'd been used to his sort of different sort of lifestyle. So he was one that um, I didn't really get to know. I mean, I, I, I admired him. I mean, my mother loved him on Question of Sports. So when I said I was doing this and that Rotherham United uh, had Emlyn Hughes as a manager, well, she wanted me to get his autograph and all this sort of thing, um, which I never did, by the way, but never mind. Um you know, it it, um, it it was it was friendly enough, and he was very professional about it. I mean, never refused an interview. But you know, as the years went on, I got to know managers better, and I I, I got my feet under the table a little bit. And I always try to be honest, Mick, uh, Matt. You know, if you're talking to to people at at home, it's no good saying, "Oh, they were really good today," when they were quite the opposite. You know, because I had to go to work on the Monday. You know, yeah, and they had to face people, so. Although I tried, um, and you could do this in local radio, unlike, you know, if you do Radio 5 and so on now, um, you can be biased. So yeah. if Rotherham United played well and had scored a you know, cracking goal, then I, I sang loud and proud. But also, if, if, um, if they'd been poor, then I'd say that. I'd try and find words that weren't rude or putting people down. Um, because you're never sure, are you? I mean, I learned that from Richard Finney. I re because we, I became friendly with Richard. Richard played for, and footballers do, play football for the first team on a Saturday in front of thousands of people. And they're far from being 100% fit. You know, they have to play, they have an injection or, you know, they're not. So you've got to be really careful about kicking somebody when, when, you know, they, they've not really been up to that day. So I, I tried to be balanced, tried to be honest, and a number of managers enjoyed that. And this is where, you know, I'm talking about Matt Ronnie Moore, he was brilliant for me to interview him because if they'd been hopeless, he'd say, well, they played like the Joker. Yeah. 
you know, play like a Sunday pub team or whatever. Um, he'd be really honest about it, and and, and I appreciated that. So I, I think um, reporting is the facts, trying to keep up, and this is why, I, you know, I struggle to do it now, because you do slow as you get a bit older, because the game's so quick. Um, but you've also got to be honest with the, 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 the managers, with the players, and with the supporters. Yeah. Which I think, I mean, from from my memory uh, of you as a as a commentator, that was one of the one of the things that shone through uh, the, the honesty in in the way that you reported the games, and it it was clear that you wanted the same things as we did. Uh, yeah. Reporters. I remember one of the things when I first started, which sort of put me off to begin with. As I say, I was I was a teacher, um, and so. Most of the, the the people who did reporting um, were journalists, mm. and journalists like like every other profession, you know, there are there are not a clique, but you know, there are a group who who have self interests. And there was a guy, and I won't mention his name because it's not fair. Um, he's no longer with us, um, and he was sports editor of the of the Star. And and there was a night game, and and there was me. I was doing an interview, and. He was there doing some copy for the paper next day, and, and we finished. And we're clearing away, and he said, "You're Brian Chapel, aren't you?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "I heard you last week. I, I can't remember where we've been away somewhere." He said, "You sound like somebody off the Tivoli." <laughs> so, and I don't think he was being kind. Right. <laughs> um, and I said, "All right." He said, "He said, yeah." He said, "You just sound like one of them." Well. To begin with, it, it sort of cut me a bit. I was a bit hurt by that. But by the time I drove home and got home, I thought, yes, <laughs> you know, because all, all I wanted, I didn't pretend to be anything that I wasn't. You know, I wasn't, had no aspirations to be on TV or whatever, whatever, you know. I just wanted to report the games on local radio for, for our supporters as best I could. And that meant being as I was, and try to be clear and say they're doing great, I think they're going to win today, or put the kettle on because I'm, you know, <laughs> um, you know that, that's how I did it, mate. Yeah, and, and it, uh, that came across loud and clear, uh, certainly for me anyway. Um, yeah, fantastic. People listening to this will think you're biased. They think I'm slipping you a quid for this. <laughs> I think because that's five times you've said nice things about me now. You didn't right. say that when I used to teach you. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I think what you'll find, Brian, is that the, the vast majority of people think exactly the same thing. And to be honest with you. Um, because I mean, the, the other thing about it is, as well, as Matt alluded to earlier on, there were some there were some bad times during the period that you were you were you were sort of commentating on, but there were some good times as well. Some yeah. real times. I mean, I think that's that's about being a football supporter of, of nearly every team, even in the Premiership, you know, and and certainly in, in thinking about Rotherham United, we've we've gone through every emotion, haven't we, Michael? You know, you, you do, don't you? you? You go from the where you're, you're in heaven because you've won this or this fantastic goal, or you're in the depths of despair. Yeah. <laughs> where, you know, being relegated or you've lost 5-1 away and, it, and it's, you know, four-hour car journey back and you're thinking, oh, God, <laughs> you know. Um, 
<laughs> the wife's going to say, where have you been and all this. Um, so, I, you know, but I think that's what's great about football. You know, it's what's great about sport. It's, it's about being taken out of the, not the humdrum life, but the normal pace of life. You get to feel things on a Saturday at three o'clock that you don't feel at any time during the week. You know, this thing about the people around you and the exhilaration and supporting a team and, you know, sucking the ball into the net and everything like that. that that's, it's wonderful. And, and I mean, I, I, my dad took me, my dad, my granddad, because, you know, I mentioned I'm a Geordie and, and we, our family were Newcastle fans. Um, my dad took me to St. James's Park in 1955. So I was seven then, I think. And I got carried, you know, it was all blokes with flat caps in those days. So very few women went to football matches then. And my dad said, you're either going to lift you down over everybody's head and sit on the wall out around the edge of the ground. And uh, there were 60,000 there, 65,000, I think, nearly, when played um, the Red Devils, Manchester United, Duncan Edwards and all that. And the noise, the noise. And I've never forgotten it. As I sit here now, the, you know, the hairs on my arms are starting to... Because the, 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 that and that noise and that feeling uh, has never left me. The thing about being in a crowd and everybody supporting and and the, the, the thought of winning, you know, winning at Wembley, um, you know, Alan Lee's winning goal when we got promoted in that last minute and all that. Well, they're just special. Let's 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 just let's just hold it right there then. Shall we, Brian, and say, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> let's talk about that commentary, which, which for, for a Rotherham United supporter, this this word's used a lot, and it's, word, it's used out of context and, and often wrongly. But this is, for me and for every Rotherham United supporter, the iconic an iconic commentary of Alan Lee's goal. What, what are your memories of that? Um, I remember I, I did the commentary um, with a full timer from from Radio Sheffield and Jerry. They they were sort of summar, summarizers. So um, I was going to do the second half of the first half and the second half period of the second half. Are you with me? The second period. Um, now normally the full timer. Did, did the the end pieces because that's when the game you know in the last the 90 minutes that's when the game was going to be won or lost yeah but he asked me to do it which was really kind of him so I was lucky enough to to get that final goal but things were really tense and the thing about commentary is you've got the headphones on so there's reports in from other grounds the people in the studio the producers talking to you and because it was such an important game they were talking about the results at the other stadiums in which in, were affecting Rotherham's chance of promotion. Mm -hmm. So my head was full. It was 1-1. We're into the last 90 seconds, well, last minute. And, um, you know, the move was set up. And I remember it really well. I mean, I've seen it a number of times since, obviously. I mean, it was on again on Facebook. It keeps being put on. Um, and I remember Kevin Watson and... Paul Hurst and then Alan Lee and the turn and shot. And then it was just, I mean, you know, people have asked me since, oh, um, had you planned that? Well, <laughs> um, uh, no, seriously, people think that, you know, you, you, you plan 
bits of thoughts about how you're going to describe a goal. Well, that's not the way you do it. You just um, watch it and let your emotions and your feelings and let you take over. So it was a special, special moment. Um, it was a it was a goal that was going to secure promotion because it's the just a few seconds before they'd given me the current score lines at the other grounds mm. um, and we knew that I knew that um, Rotherham if they, if they got a winner they would be promoted so it all came out in me but more importantly it, it all came out in the crowd you know you were there um, and the, the noise and you know running on the pitch which you can't condone really but I did, did my commentary because I you know, I thought if I'd been in the crowd, I'm not saying I would run on, but I would have felt like running on. So, so it was just it was just special, and um, I still get asked about it even now. You know, I, I go to places and um, go to talk to people um, even still about, and I've not done a, a BBC commentary for 15 years. And I said, as long as that, yeah, nearly. Um, but I still do little bits, and people ask me. Uh, to go and talk to them and they always ask me about that goal so uh, it was just uh, special you know I, I loved it and I'm I'm glad I, I did that and if it hadn't been for the virus uh, my wife and I had been invited by Alan Lee to go to his home for a long weekend this summer really you know? wow. so, um, because that's the other thing you know to move away from that goal one of the things I've loved about doing this is, is right, you know, three o'clock till five o'clock on a Saturday, on a Tuesday night game, that's really important and about win, trying to win and whatever. That's great. But the other thing that I think has been great about being a Rotherham United supporter, that I would have never have got had I stayed, you know, in Blythe and Northumberland being a Newcastle fan, I'd never have been able to get as close to uh, the club, um, the, 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 the directors, the chairman, the managers over the years, uh, the staff, um, the players, um, the, the, the fans. And it's all been part of what I think makes Rotherham, because we're your Rotherham United fans, makes Rotherham United a really special club. Because it isn't just the football for me, as important as that is. It's about what the football club and what the, 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 the games do for the supporters and for the community. And Rotherham United, for me, has become a genuinely, really classy community place that um, fans or people who, even if they're not football supporters as such, can join in all the work that's done and all the good things that come out of Rotherham United. And this is why I think we are blessed to be Rotherham United supporters. I mean, I know there are one or two bomb pots, but... But um, you'll always get that in every football club, you know, wanting to be promoted, wanting to be in the premiership and wanting the chairman to spend millions and all this sort of thing. But that is, again, part of being a football supporter. But a lot of supporters have a real warmth for Rotherham United because of the history it's got on the pitch, but equally off the pitch as well. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, you're sort of moving up to date with that. I don't, in my memory, I don't think the club has ever been in a better place than it is today. Um, just with, with, with the way the club's run, the, the staff there, the, the, the priorities that the club as a, as, a, as a whole have got, just everything about it just screams. The word you used, I think, was class. 
Um, and it does, it screams class, which you would never have believed would, would have happened sort of 15, 20 years ago. You would never have believed we would be in the position that we're in now. Never. Uh, I mean, I, I loved, I love Millmore. You know, that I've still got very warm memories of Millmore. You know, um, those who, who didn't experience it, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a unique place. Um, it wasn't pish posh. <laughs> um, but it had a warmth about it for the fans, and, and night games at, at Millmore for me were really special, you know. And, the, and we saw some magnificent games, some magnificent footballers. So the thought of having um, a, a New York stadium in Rotherham, I you just never imagined it. I mean, I I went as a fan and and a reporter for thirty odd years, and I'm not sure I ever used the toilet. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> You know, I'd, I'd rather, I sat, you know, cross-legged, you know, coming home sometimes, I'm desperate to get home for a wee, um, because it wasn't the sort of place that you do something like that. But um, it, but then you to go to New York Stadium, Yeah. well, I mean, it, it's it's magnificent, um, right? It's smaller than a lot of grounds and so on, but the way it's been planned, this is where I give... Uh, Tony Stewart, maximum praise. You know he's he's been the driving force for that, and to build the stadium the way it is, um, uh, uh, credit to him. But you talked about the other parts. So, and currently, we, I mentioned Ronnie Moore earlier, and I, and I loved Ronnie and, and his team, and that that um, you know got promotion, um, a couple of promotions was was magnificent. But 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 what um, is happening now? What what Paul Warren's done and Richard Barker and Matt Hanshaw, Andy Warrington, plus the medical team. But then the, the off the field staff as well, you know, Paul Douglas. Yeah. I think he's he's been there through thick and thin. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't have been able to cope with the pressures. He's, you know, a couple of administrations and so on. So yeah. John Bird, who does the work, you know, with, with the disabled supporters group as well as his work in the shop and all that. Um but then the Rotherham United Community Sports Trust, which has always been close to my heart. I mean, they do the most remarkable work. You know, Jamie Noble and his team, all the, the things that 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 really they get into and, you know, working with people with disabilities, all the education work. Then you can do a degree course now yeah. at, at New York Stadium, you know, as well as the, the academic work and the sports work in schools, mature millers, the health work, the memory. Hey, Memory groups, I'm thinking of my own memory, trying to think <laughs> of all the things they do. I'll, I'll stop at that. But, you know, it's quite remarkable. Community Club of the Year in 2012. Yeah. Um, and, and each season, there seemed to be, the you know, up amongst the best in Yorkshire. Much bigger clubs we're, we're up against. But, um, no, there's, there's masses and masses to be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you, and I've said this in these podcasts before, and... Uh, about about Paul Warren as a manager, as a man and as a manager, um, uh, much as much as I, I love Ronnie as you, as you do, and obviously you know Ronnie better than I do, and better 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 than most of us. Um, but I just I look back at over the years, and I I can't think of a a, man, a better manager that we've had than Paul Warren. I genuinely can't. I was so happy when he got the job, and when he when he agreed to take it on full time. It's just. Just the type of bloke that he is, and, and and his ambition, and his drive, and his personality, everything about him screams, as we've said again, class. 
it's been class, professionalism, and just everything that we've never really had all in one package before. Um, I don't know. I'm, I, that's that's just that's my view, and I know that obviously a lot of people, or some people, some fans don't necessarily share that. But um, you know, that it's just it seems to me at the moment to be the perfect storm, and long may that continue. Yeah, I mean. I- I, th- I think the difficulty I have personally uh, it, it, with Ronnie and, and Paul is that in their times, they were as good as it got for me. Um, mm. Remember when, when Ronnie was manager, football was different then, you know, yeah. in, in terms of the way clubs were managed and the way that players were spoken to, particularly younger players, you know, I think they were still cleaning boots then, apprentices and so on. And so it was a it was a different sort of environment, and and Ronnie was spot on in that he inherited a club with, with only three or four signed players, I think, at the time when he took over, and he moulded a team with very little financial resource, and got the best out of people who perhaps hadn't found the true way in other clubs, but he brought them together and and formed a spirit that ended up with a couple of promotions. Paul Warren in a different era, has been in some ways a, a bit of a trailblazer. This is what sets him out for me. When he first started and talked about players and, and team ethics and respecting players and good people and so on, I used to read regularly, you know, a number of supporters were saying, oh, what a load of rubbish that is, you know, he's only a kit man and, and whatever. But I... I I have to say that because I knew him a little bit. I felt that's that was him. That's what he believed in. And you know, if you believe in something in life, and you strongly believe in it, and you've got a passion, and you want to get to the to the finish line, you'll see that through. Even if there's bumpy roads and, and things happen to to knock you off course a little bit, but he still believed and still believes. And and I think we've been, as you say. Um, I think we've been really lucky to have him because Rotherham United got him just at the time when we needed somebody like him to galvanise the whole parts of the club and the town and the supporters. And he's managed to do that. And um, But he'll be the first to say that, right, he's the, the manager, but then the pl- people that we've already mentioned, yeah. the other parts of the, the club... Um, you know, they're just little things that we've moved on. You know, the ground, Dave, Dave, the work that Dave Fellows does, you know. I mean, New York Stadium pitch must be absolute. I'd love to go and see it. It must be magnificent. The training ground, um, you know, I'd be lucky enough to, I used to still go up there sometimes because it's magnificent to watch and to see what has been created there. Now, it's not the best in in this, even League One, It's uh, but... It's 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 Rotherham's. It's ours. Uh, we are part of it, and um, it's absolutely spot on. And players who come to Rotherham United now respond and respond to the what the ethos of the club is. And um, I mean, I, I, I hope I hope we're going to be promoted later this week. Um, I, I think we deserve to be promoted. I hope it's done on a points per game. Because we've played so many games, I think it would be criminal if it was just voided and we just started again next season. But we'll have to wait to see. But even if we don't go up, um, and I know in going up, it's going to be a huge challenge to go back into the championship again because of the resource issue. But never mind. I know we'll give our all. 
But even if we, if we don't go up, if it's decided that it is going to be void and we're just going to stay where we are, I'm really looking forward to next season and seeing the club develop further along all sorts of fronts, not just on the playing side. I, th- I think that's a big thing, Brian. I think you're right. I think, you know, watching the club develop off away from the actual football side or away from the, the match day side um, is, is almost as, well, not quite, but it's, it's just as exciting um, as, as the rest of it because it, things, because of the way things have changed in the last 10 years, eight years we've been at New York, I think, is it eight years? Um, you know, and I still go there now, or did a few weeks ago, a few months ago. <laughs> you know, you walk in and you think, I, can't, I still can't believe that this is our ground. You feel I, I I think a lot. Well, I certainly agree with you, mate. When I when I walk in and you you walk and you see the pitch and whatever, um, you you get that buzz, don't you? you yeah. Really do, yeah. 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 So it's, it's sort of almost like going to a big away game every every week because you you walk in and you're still kind of surprised to see it all. Well, it's lovely. I still I, I still sit in the the press box. Um, Sam Todd. The media manager, who again, I, I don't think I mentioned him earlier, but you know Matt Young before him and Sam, Sam Todd now, and and um, Matty who we works with, uh, they they just do a terrific job. Um, you know they work. I, I'm not sure people, the supporters, realise how hard they work, how many hours they put in. Um, it, it's it's fantastic, and and I love to go in the press box and watch the games, and I've helped a little bit um, with. I follow Miller's commentaries, although Richard Finney and and Mick Lang normally do the com- the you know assist with the, the commentaries. So I, I only do a little bit if, if they're not available. Um, but I still I love to go to the games and to be involved a little bit. But even if I'm just sitting watching the games, it's um it, it's it's so pleasant and I and I hope I can continue to do that for for many years to come because I'm still a young man on the inside. Well, we all are, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, yeah, as you said earlier on, it's about what it does to you on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock um, and then what it does to you again at quarter five when it's not gone so well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I've learned to cope with it a little bit better. I mean, when, when we used to lose, you know, 20 years ago, we, we lost it. You know, I was certainly quiet on a Saturday night when I got home and, you know, it took me well into Sunday to get over it. But... I'm a little bit more calm about it now. Um, I, I think that's with a bit more maturity. I don't know, but um, it's still a lot easier when they win. I know on a Saturday night, I can't wait for Sky to show the goals. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really not bothered if we've lost. I, I, I'll tend to watch them Sunday night, maybe, but um, just shows, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does, absolutely. And, and to be fair, I guess, I mean, and Matt will agree, uh, agree with this as well, I'm sure, but in the last sort of 15 to 20 years, we've probably seen, we've probably been through just about everything as a club and sort of set of supporters that you could possibly have gone through. Yeah, I, I've got a, a photo upstairs with um, youngest son, Paul, um, and we were there the last game at uh, Millmore. Um, and... We weren't. We had our photos taken on the pitch. Um, I had a word with, with Paul Wixon. Said, "Look, take my photo, will you?" Because I knew Paul. Yeah. Um, and because I wondered whether that would be the last game I ever saw Rotherham United. You know, 
I know we talk about you know moving outside and having to leave Millmore and going to, to Sheffield, but I wasn't sure whether things were going to work out for us. So, and there've been other times with the administrations where you think, gosh, how are we going to survive this? Mm -hmm. uh, but survive we did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there, there were some difficult times, and that administration was uh, was probably as low as it got, wasn't it? Really, I think. Well, I said that those three years of Don Valley were uh, were pretty low as well. Yeah, I mean, I used to go to games there, obviously, um, and it was really difficult, wasn't it? Um, yeah. When you you know looking over to the far side, you were a hundred yards away, weren't you? Plus. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't good. I get a shiver whenever whenever I think of, of Don Valley, and then that, not just because it was always freezing, no matter what time of year it was. So, what? So, looking back over your radio presenting career, then, then what? What from from that side of it? What's your, what's your sort of standout memories of? Of that, other than the Alan Lee goal, which I have to say, by the way, while we're on that subject, that I did try to call my youngest son Alan Lee. <laughs> I think Matthew will confirm that. I, uh, I, did, I did try backing you up on that one, but you, your wife were having none of it, was she? No. <laughs> uh, but on the upside, on the upside, my uh, my eldest son does have a story about naming children, don't you, Matthew? Yeah. So uh, before the playoff final in 2014, uh, my wife was pregnant, and we said I, I, I almost persuaded her that whoever scores the winning goal can we name if we have a son can we name it after her, and we had a daughter, so that didn't <laughs> out. And I couldn't convince I couldn't convince her to call my first child Alexandra, so we didn't call Alexandra. But we were looking after another another daughter, and a few years later, and I convinced her to let me call her Alexandra, and she's so she's named after Ravel, after the <laughs> two goals at Wembley. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, my next door but one neighbour was a mad keen Miller. His his lad is called Alfie. <laughs> Alfie Miller is his middle name. That's good, isn't it? Fantastic. But in talking of, of games, you know, um, Wembley '96. Never been to Wembley before to to watch the Millers play. And uh, I did the commentary on the goals that time. I was lucky enough to get uh, both Nigel Jemson's goals. That was a special day. I, when when the first goal went in, I said it was like the ball hit the net. It was like a salmon in a fisherman's keep net. I don't know where that came from. But um, when I got home about eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock at night from London. A neighbour pushed a, a tin of John West salmon through the letterbox. Um, <laughs> so that that was a that that was different. And then there were a number of games that I remember goals in particular um, that I remember um, too many to name because there's been so many memorable goals, memorable players, memorable incidents. Um, Do I'm, I'm trying to think. I, uh, so, 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 oh, like, sorry, sorry. sorry, something I wanted to ask about is something that Mix talked about on, on a few other podcasts is when Ronnie came back, so when he came in as manager in 97, Mick talked about it being a bit of a homecoming. So I, obviously yeah. you were reporting on us, how was that seen from a reporter's point of view? Well, that was, uh, that was fantastic. And um, they asked me that we, we did the, the homecoming in the, in the nightclub in Rotherham 
before the season started. And there were about 1,500 people in there that night. And I was on the stage and um, um, I was told I had to whip the crowd up, get them excited about Ronnie coming. It was like a Nuremberg rally. <laughs> <laughs> The, the noise, and then I announced him on, and, and uh, you know, it all, everybody's singing, Ronnie's coming home. You remember, football's coming, I was Ronnie's coming home, and the, the players um, who, who were in the squad at the time were there, and, and I mean, they were amazed, I think. They, they'd never seen anything like it, so that, that was how it started, and then, of course, um, he came, and, um, you know, he, he, he just managed to, to galvanise everybody, so... So him coming was was really special. And the other thing I remembered, I said when I first started, he was a player. So I used to interview him, mm. and so I got to know him a little bit. And he used to do him and John Breck and Richard Finney in particular. They were the the players at the time. You know, well before the community trusts and everything, they always went to hospitals. They went to schools. They became part of the community. And Ronnie had a house in in Rotherham. I think he always had a house in Rotherham from that time. Um, even though he went elsewhere, I think I'm right. Um, so when he came as manager, you know, he remembered me and uh, he knew Jerry really well. Jerry's working for the advertiser. So he was keen to support us, help us. And by him helping us and coming to do interviews um, and to always be available and always to be truthful about the level of performance, um, we were able to build up. A, a good understanding and we were able to help each other do the jobs to the best of our ability. Um, so I think the fans remembered him with warmth, they remembered him as a player, they remembered all the goals he scored in one particular season and therefore they wanted him. If I remember rightly, I think Jerry it was who put something in the advertiser and it was about him you know, going to be approached about the job and, and there was a, like a fan, fan's vote on it, and he was the overwhelming candidate. So when he got the job, um, you know, that seemed to go down really well, and he built on that. Yes, yeah, I remember it well. Um, my dad and a couple of others were involved in that. We talked, we talked about this in a podcast earlier on. They went across to Southport to see him prior to him being approached by the club, I think, or before he approached the club. One way, one way around or another, I can't remember anyway. Um, but I was there that night. In fact, I, I was the one that set all those fireworks off at the back. Oh, it was you, was it? Yeah, so was you it. remember the night? It was brilliant. Oh, you did that. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah I'm definitely one here, by the way, mate. Now I know who I can sue. <laughs> My memory of it, Brian, and because we, 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 I remember we sneaked Ronnie in through a back door fire escape yeah. uh, with uh, Dave, uh, Dave Nichols yeah. with him. Uh, and he sat in the back room there. And when you and you were doing your thing out on stage, and I, I went to the room to, to tell him to come out, and I just remember looking at him and think, and he looked terrified. <laughs> he looked absolutely terrified, and and, and I remember and thinking back now with a noise, and, and I'm not in the least little bit surprised because it was just bedlam. Mm. So. Yeah, but, um, I don't think many managers will. I mean. You know, when they, when somebody signs for Barcelona or Real Madrid, there's thousands turn up, you know, players and they juggle the ball and everything. Yeah. But in terms of of real passion, um, if if they do as well as, as Rotherham United did that night to welcome Ronnie back, then they'll have been doing well. Big time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he delivered, to be fair, didn't he? He came back and delivered. Absolutely, we did. And um, 
you know, I was I was involved a little bit I'd, because I became a director of Rotherham United in 2011 uh, on the community side. Um, and Tony Stewart invited me to do that. And Ronnie was manager. Um, so it was really good working with him again. And then in 2011, I had this really big stroke. I was working really hard at the time, doing different jobs and whatever. And um, I became quite poorly and, you know, and was advised not to do any work again, uh, just to relax. So I did, and the, the chairman, to his credit, when, I, when my wife, I wasn't driving, I didn't drive for a number of months, um, and she took me up to see him, because I decided I, I couldn't be a director and I wasn't involved in working and so on. So I, I went to resign, he said, no, you mustn't do that, you know, three months, give yourself some time to get ready. And I said, no, no, I'm, I've been told I mustn't do it again, um, resigned. And then I got better. <laughs> I got better. So I couldn't, uh, I felt like driving up and saying, oh, can I be director again? But no. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I, it, it's, uh, I've been, I've been really blessed and I'm, I'm really grateful that you've, you've, you've asked me to do this. Um, uh, you know, my wife said, how long will you be on for? I said about 15 minutes. They'll be bored with me by then. Well, I think I've just looked at my computer and we've done 49 minutes and 30 seconds. Um, so if you're fed up now, then, you know, it, it won't hurt me if you turn the volume up. I, I don't think I could ever get fed up of listening to you, Brian, to be honest. It's just, it's just, yeah. 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 You, you, like I said to you right at the beginning of this, for me, you were the voice of Rotherham United. Mm. Um, and, and I think for a lot of other people as well, I, I think, Certainly for you, Matt, in your early years. Well, yeah, that me, I was what when, when we got promoted to division to division one, I would have been about ten or eleven, and coming to the games on the radio, we were listening, waiting for Brian Chapel to come on so we could hear the team news, and after the game, you're waiting for you know the interview with the manager and stuff like that. So it was the game was result revolved around listening to radio and radio Sheffield at home games, and then when we're away, when we were the main game, it was all about listening for the commentary find out how we're doing and like Mick says we could probably listen to you all night talk about just Rotherham United it's just uh yeah it's brilliant <laughs> yeah absolutely one one thing that's uh that, that's been bugging me Brian and I can't remember do I remember listening to a commentary of yours when we got promoted or relegated where you got quite emotional on air is that am I, I think oh, I, I just made that up <laughs> uh what do you mean by emotional crying yeah. Uh, oh, well, that might have been Jerry Summerton, you know. I might be mixing you up with the other voice rather than that. <laughs> uh, I mean, there were a couple of times when, when uh, you know, it been really good, it, it, it got to me. Um, it had been Jerry. He was better than me. Yeah, I don't, I don't he, think so. He's from Rotherham. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't a Geordie reporting on Rotherham United. <laughs> no, I would have thought that that would work. <laughs> <laughs> but it certainly did it absolutely did mm. so. through them division one years uh, Brian so them three successful division one years the, the, the 2001 2004 were there any games that stood out as being well standout games I suppose you know us against the big boys as, as it was in division one I think that, that there were a, it's difficult to pick out individual ones. I, I remember the one odd moment I remember when we played West Brom 
who were a big club and still are a big club and and I hope they get promoted into the Premiership, back to the Premiership. Um, and it was a Sunday afternoon game and doing a commentary and it was live on TV. And Chris Sedgwick, they scored a goal. It was a yard behind the line. And yeah. we were sitting on the halfway line and, and I called, I was able to, I called it. I said, that's a goal. Um, and it, it was never given. Uh, and that helped us stay up that season. There's loads of little incidents. I, you know, we'd be here till, till midnight if I went through all the things. But it was the, the level of performance. It, it's, it's as much about the, the players. I mean, there was, there, was a, there was a squad of players there who just gave their all, just didn't stop. I mean, I love Paul Hurst to this day. I, I love the fact that he, from, from the... the Third division, you know, people said, "Well, he's small. He, we got promoted. He'll never, he'll never hack it in the next division. We've got promoted. Never hack it." Um, you know, Chris Wales and Martin McIntosh. Um, I thought they were magnificent. Well, we centre back. Did you watch the uh, they, they rerun the uh, Man City game? The was yeah. Man City game the other night on um, on YouTube, and and we looked at the, we we talked about this in the last podcast. You look at that the back three that they played there, Guy Branston, Chris Wales, and Martin McIntosh. And yeah. you just think, wow, wow. How did anybody ever get through that? Because it yeah. was immense. They were absolutely I've got, I've immense. Got some stories about Guy Branston, I could tell you, but I'd definitely be in trouble. So <laughs> he, he, um, yeah. <laughs> Mike Pollard, what a goalkeeper he, he he you know we've had lots yeah. of fantastic goalkeepers over the years but but Mike Pollard must again rank it amongst the best and then just other players in in, in different positions given I don't know you yeah, that, that what a squad of players that was and Absolutely. and I quite enjoyed being the underdog I don't know what you you're like sometimes I I quite enjoyed it when when big teams came and um uh, didn't like getting changed at Millmore. You know, was it West Ham who? Um, yeah. Who refused to get changed and got changed in at the Holiday Inn, um, and then we beat them. Um, I don't know. It, it's it, sometimes it's it's an advantage being second favourites, you know. And 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 I think that was when uh, Ronnie was really good at at turning the disadvantage of who we were because compared against the big clubs turned it to our advantage yeah. and the, 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 the players just responded to that um, and I think the supporters did too you know it was a shame when it ended but we really enjoyed those days in the sunshine didn't we didn't we just absolutely absolutely and as you said that squad was the, something else no mistake uh, so yeah um, so let me put you on the spot then, Brian. Favourite manager? Ooh. Um, you don't have to answer. I think, no, I, I think I think for me personally, remember the if we're talking from a, the radio point of view, it has to be uh, Ronnie Moore because he was the one I worked with. But I, I, I think the way things are going, Paul Paul Warren will. If he carries on the way, I think he will continue as, as Rotherham United manager. I think what he has achieved and will achieve will put him as my number one. Absolutely. It mirrored 
mirror exactly what I think on that. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I think I'm, I, I might I might have already said that in one of the previous podcasts, Matt. I don't know. I hope I have. No, Probably, but... yeah. <laughs> I think you might have done. Yeah. I think it, it's it's similar to Ryan away in terms that it was a player and a very popular player at the time, obviously back in the day as well. And then he's come back and well, well not forced to the job. It was reluctant to take the job in the first place, weren't he? And yeah. like, he's just he's proving that he can do it to himself as well as everybody else. Mm. And, and like I said, hopefully, hopefully another promotion coming in a few days, and who knows what holds up next season holds. Do you, do you think we'll be promoted then? Um, from what I can see, yeah. I, from I read something from the FA uh, saying that they do not want a null and void. Uh, an FA apparently have a veto. So from that, I, I, I can't see us not going up. Uh, a lot relies on Premier League, doesn't it? Every, whatever the Premier League say and do, mm. the Football League will follow. So they're there. To, once that domino falls, I think everybody else will fall in line. Which are sort of as and when they do that, hopefully soon we can uh, mm. get some decisions. I think we. I, I think we. I, I genuinely think that we would have been promoted had the season continued. Mm. I just felt if as long as we got you know those couple of injured players back, I think I think we would have we would have gone up anyway. So, and the fact that we've played so many games that the season was was well past the three quarter mark, then I, I would. Is, is are there no you you may know better than me, but are there no rules protocols with with the EFL around? I know they kind of envisage the coronavirus situation, but mm. you must always have rules about what will happen if, what will happen when this happens. What you know, so it's nice and clear. And and if they haven't, well, they'll certainly have them from now on. That once you've played so many games, and um, but it 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 must it's hard, isn't it? Football's hard when. If you've been a supporter and then you can't get a cup final ticket, it's it's mm-hmm. nightmare, isn't it? If if you've been a fan and your your team's doing well and you can't be promoted, then or you're not promoted, what a what a shit. But if 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 you're being relegated, if you're going to be relegated, and yet you're you're only a point behind and you might have stayed up. It's 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 really very difficult, isn't yeah. it? For but there's got to be a resolution and there's got to be a resolution soon so that next season can be planned for and hopefully. There will be a next season, and hopefully, uh, people who are listening to this will will follow the rules, and 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 there mustn't be uh, continuation of the, the 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 deaths that there are in this. Otherwise, there'll not be a next season either. No, that's right. That's right. And uh, and I mean that's obviously one of the difficulties the Premier League are going to face, aren't they, in terms of finishing, and and probably the Championship as well, in terms of finishing their season and keeping supporters away from the grounds. Um, yeah, I watched the mayor of Liverpool uh, today, and he was saying, and and it's, it was bound to happen that um, fans will turn up, won't they? Uh, yeah. England fans go all over the world with yeah. no tickets. Yeah. Um, because fans want to be. That's how important football is to a lot of people, even to be outside a ground and hear the noise and be part of it uh, and part of the build-up. Um, people will do it. So it, it's it's. Um, I just hope that there's some resolution found and there's some path, a clear path whereby things can settle, the health issues are, are faced up to, the economic issues both across the country and industry and so on, but the economic issues in football, because we've we not had a chance to talk about that, but this is a huge worry. You know, this is why Premier League want to play, because if not, they've got to pay hundreds of millions of pounds back to Sky. 
Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Paul Pogba's agent re reportedly got 40 odd million pounds. That was his fee to arrange <laughs> transfer. Well, it's just not not sustain. It hasn't been sustainable. <laughs> Yeah, and, and these are the sort, and this is why, coming back to Rotherham United, this is where uh, the chairman, Tony Stewart's done done really well, that we seem to be a really well-run club living within our means. Well, he's mentioned it a few times over the years, Ante, that you know we need to be make sure that we're safe on a ra for a rainy day, and 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 it's raining. <laughs> it's pouring. Absolutely, um, and and as you as you rightly pointed out there. Because of him and because of what he's done, we should be all right. But obviously, if he continues ad infinitum, then obviously we won't be. But yeah, well, well, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see on that one. I mean, I think it seems to me at the moment that the, the sort of consensus of all the rumours and reports, if you put them all together and uh, and have a look at it, it looks like that the Premier League and the Championship will probably play the season out. Um, League One and League Two will finish, and possibly looking at probably uh, average points per game added mm -hmm. on to what you've already got now. Um, that way, the, the EFL are going to they're going to get they're going to sort of negate any major um, lawsuits, for want of a better term, from the bigger Championship clubs. Obviously, the likes of the, the guy shouting his mouth at Peterborough and, and and maybe some of the smaller clubs. I guess that they're they're sort of they can sort of deal with that, and uh, you know it's not going to cost them too much money if, if it goes against them. Whereas obviously, if the likes of West Brom, Leeds, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, were to do that, that might cost them. I don't know. Mm. You know that, like as you pointed out, the club's going to go out of business. We've talked about this on the podcast a few times now. You know, certainly League Two. There might not be a League Two next season. There might not be enough clubs to put in it. Um, you know, it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with now. And the EFL do seem to have sat on the hands for uh, far too long, in my view. But, you know, what do I know? Well, one thing I used to try and do when I did the radio, and perhaps this is how we'll finish, you've got to try and find some positive uh, thing to finish your, your little piece on. So in terms of tonight, I want to thank you and, and Matthew for... Uh, ringing me up last week and asking me to do this. I've enjoyed doing it. And thanks for uh, helping me relive some really nice memories. Um, I think one of the things I tried to say today was that the three of us and many others are fortunate to be supporters of Rotherham United through thick and thin. And I just want to wish the club and, and everybody attached to the club and certainly all people in Rotherham and South Yorkshire and all over the world um, who are supporters of Rotherham United. I want to wish them well. I hope they keep safe and well, and I hope we can all um, enjoy football back again at New York Stadium and another successful season starting in August. Looking towards Ravel, ambitious.